Hi there, this is Drew. Just before we get started on the episode, just wanted to let you know we recorded this on Wednesday, the 3rd of June. Uh, Today, on Thursday, 4th of June, Aston Martin has announced the loss of 500 jobs. We are talking about Aston Martin in this episode, but obviously we didn't have this information available to us. This very sad news comes at a very difficult time and all our thoughts go out to those people who have lost their jobs there. Um, With that information in mind, uh, please enjoy this episode of the Coverfection Footlock podcast. Hello and welcome to another lockdown edition of Footlock. It's been a while, but I'm back here. My name is Drew Stone and I'm joined, as usual, by my Footlock friend, Mr. Henry Catchpole. How are things doing, Henry? I'm all right. Thank you very much, Drew. Yes, the uh, lockdown hair is getting more and more wild. I mean, it's sort of people say, to be honest, it's not much wilder than usual. Yeah. Um, pioneered this style before lockdown started, I think. You, but you haven't gone the full hog and grown a lockdown beard as much as uh, other people have done. I'm slightly disappointed because you always look quite debonair in a beard. <laughs> yeah, I have gone gone beard in the past, but it sort of it does. If you get the long hair and the long beard, it all starts to get a bit. Uh, it's, it just grows it's, uh, together. Into not necessarily good <laughs> In one full on mass, you um, you lose me behind it all. <laughs> we all know it's you it's fine it's fine um we've got a lot uh coming up in today's episode we're going to be talking about uh aston martin and uh the trials and tribulations going on there as well as new bmw 4 series uh and a few other new models as well as talking about the new films that we've had out uh on the youtube channel uh first thing to touch on is uh just matter of general world news obviously the lockdown is is easing slightly here in the uk which has opened up the opportunity for us to go back out and filming obviously in a uh, socially responsible and socially distant manner but henry you've been able to go out on the road and actually start filming in fact our first film fruit of that labors went out on the day of recording today yes it did yes yeah, yeah I, I was um out a lot last week in the end and it sort of um it was all sort of a bit odd getting back out there but it was lovely just to, to be in uh, in some cars and yeah the first one i was in was the new morgan plus four which um felt like a, a really sort of a nice car to get into as the first first one out mm. there really sort of bit, bit old-fashioned but um a bit, bit new and you know wind in your hair and actually just yeah it was yeah. A, it was a lovely car to be in it's light at the end of the tunnel uh, in terms of lockdown, then uh, us beginning to get back out into the wild means a slight return to normality for the channel as well, which is great. And I'm sure we'll touch on the Morgan film a little bit more later. But uh, let's jump into the news. And one of the biggest news stories uh, of the last couple of weeks has been uh, Aston Martin. Um, Aston Martin have had a very rough time over the last couple of years, it's fair to say, with a fairly catastrophic collapse in their share price um, up from about 19 pounds or so when it launched down to pennies yep, uh, on, on a share uh i think so, it was 35 pence when um, yes yeah at its uh, possibly at its, at its lowest point which has led to the inevitable uh sacking of ceo uh, annie palmer uh what do you make of it henry um well first of all i think it's it's um i'll be sorry to see annie palmer go he was um always a, a very likable person um certainly when i I met him. Um, I think he has, by and large, actually done done a good job. I mean, sort of in terms of he had a pretty big task on his hands when he went into Aston Martin, and he has the company come a, a long way. You, know, you look at all the new cars we've got. Um, there are obviously the Mercedes engines that are in there now and things like that. You know, bringing DBX almost almost to market. 
um, Valkyrie project, things like that. Perhaps there were distractions in there as well that really didn't need to be there with the sort of the uh, the lifestyle things, you know, who can forget to the submarine. Um, and uh, I think there was a helicopter as well, wasn't there? There was a mm. flat or something like that, sort of in terms of house design. All those things felt kind of just a bit distracting, actually. I'm not sure how much time they actually took up, but it felt like they were perhaps diluting the um, the strength of the message for, for the, the cars that they were producing. And, and you know, let's face it, the, the current uh, Vantage is, is a fantastic um, car. I, I love it. Um, so he's done some very good things there. Yes, perhaps some of the future visions were um, bolder than some people would have liked, or as some people were talking about the Danny Bahari or at Lotus. I never think it got to, to that level. It was no. always seemed way, way more achievable. Um, and the you know, proper planning behind it is not, he wasn't the, uh, the, the fantasist that um, I think uh, Danny Bahar possibly was at, at Lotus. Um, so yeah, I shall be sorry to see um, uh, Andy Palmer go. Um, but yeah, incoming, Tobias Mers from none other than AMG. Yes, I mean, that's... Um, uh that is slightly the, or slightly, is is quite so much the influence of um, of the new financiers of uh, Aston Aston Martin, um, in the form of Mr. Stroll, who uh, who came yes. in with quite, uh, or at least the consortium led by him that came in with quite a lot of money, which initially was the savior of the company at all, uh, to mm. to to bail it out. Um, I think just touching on what you said, Andy Palmer was definitely of all the CEOs of companies, he was definitely one of the most approachable uh, and and always happy to communicate with journalists face to face. I mean, I haven't spoken to that many CEOs, but I've spoken to him directly, and he was always very uh, open and honest and 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 very enthusiastic about what he did. And I think you're right that the cars have got better over his tenure there, um, but unfortunately, as a business which it has to function as it's, it's slightly less so what what do you think what do you expect from this uh this change going to or we're already seeing such an influence of uh um uh, amg over aston martin in terms of what the cars are able to do but now also from a business standpoint what what do you think they'll be bringing with them from that mercedes amg way of thinking into aston martin and what benefits do you think we'll be able to see in the short term uh, as aston martin tries to pull itself out of this hole it's in I think that's that's one of the, the really interesting things because we don't know at the moment. Uh, there's obviously the the link already with the the engines, so it's now a question of does Dubas Mers coming on board signify an even greater link with um, Mercedes AMG, or is that sort of purely coincidence? Does he happen to be the right man for the job, and the sort of the the engine uh, link is is a distraction, if you like? Um, is it not going to uh, further that anymore? I, I don't know at the moment. Um, in terms of Mers himself, um, he's a, a Mercedes-AMG man through and through. He'd been at AMG since, I think, 1994. I did look it up. Um, yes, 1994. And, and 2013 was when he was over the um, took over the chairmanship of the board of Mercedes-AMG. Um, and he was the one that brought in things like the uh, SLS um, AMG and then the AMG GT. So they're sort of Mercedes AMG's sort of standalone cars that they produced. And it, they weren't just, um, I say they're AMG cars, not um, Mercedes that had been um, uh, tweaked and fettled. Uh, so he's also, I mean, I've met him, I have interviewed him a couple of times. And 
he's he's likable. He's very direct. He is um, doesn't suffer fools at all. He's um, much more sort of he's got a sort of you know, bulldog sort of um, face on that looks very stern when you meet him, and it takes quite a lot of sort of breaking down in an interview. I remember sort of talking to him, and it, it took quite a while to get to the nub of almost whether he likes the cars, the cars or not, or whether he's just a hard nosed sort of person. He he is a car guy through and through, though. He I, I remember talking to him about. Um, I can't remember which car it was now, but um, it was probably the AMG GTR, I think, and him describing his journey home of an evening taking the cars, and just and then you could see actually you know, his face lit up, and you know talking about the particular route he would take, and you think, yeah, you are an absolute car guy, uh, definitely. He doesn't sort of he'll wear a suit, but I think he looks more comfortable. He's kind of tends to be you know shirt and you know white shirt and jeans is his his uniform um, if you like. So. Mm. Uh, he's he's definitely you know an engineer, and I think it will be very interesting to see. Um, I hope he brings that to to Aston Martin and really you know really takes the engineering forward. He was obviously heavily involved with the AMG um, Project One, which we now don't know whether that's actually going to. It's got all gone very quiet on that, should we say? Yeah. Um, so he's he's lipping, going from that obviously to then uh, the Valkyrie. Uh, so he's he's going from um, you know the the, two, the the its closest rival basically. So again, that'll be interesting to see if he has any input into that at all. Um, the other sort of anecdote about him, which um, I think it was um, who was it? It was um, it was Lawrence Allen uh, from Autocar, who I think put out a tweet saying that when it was announced that um, or decided that the C63 was going to go to four cylinder for the next generation. Uh, dropping the the V8, um, Mers actually stood up and walked out of the board meeting. Um, <laughs> he was he was that outraged. So um, that that bodes well, I think. It does you know, yeah. if that's if that's if that's true, um, you know. <laughs> that's him speaking for the rest uh, of us. A, yeah, that's, that's yeah, a nice little yeah. touch. Um, so it it will be really interesting, I think, to see um, what he he brings. Um, from from Mercedes, but I don't I don't know what that will will be at the moment. Yeah, mm. obviously Aston Martin is on on kind of a trajectory. I mean, companies don't just turn on a the dime; they're more like oil tankers than sports cars in terms of maneuvering. And obviously, DBX is full on. Uh, the financial financial security of the company was already somewhat staked on that car, and there's a whole new platform has been developed for it. So that seems very clear that that's going to go ahead and, and be a staple for the next couple of years. But where do you think that puts these projects that are still in ongoing development, uh, like like the Valkyrie? Do, do you still think that a company in this much financial trouble is still going to put its efforts into these very low-volume, headline-grabbing, but not necessarily highly profitable endeavors? Uh, now that so much work has already gone into it or, or do you think more effort's going to go into like making sure that the foundation of the cars that actually shift units are going to be more focused on in the next couple of years i think i mean i think valkyrie will go ahead because i think it's too far down the line not to now really i, I think i'd be um pretty surprised I, I worry for valhalla which was the um v6 um, sort of you know, son of Valkyrie, if you like, which is due to appear in the uh, new Bond film, um, so which we'll come back to, I know, in a bit from another video that we've done. Um, but for, so that and the and then the mid-engine engine Vanquish as well. I think those I'm really not sure about at the moment. You sort of feel like they are 
perhaps will be be put on ice. Mm. Um, the Lagonda as well, that's sort of looking more and more... I mean, it's, it obviously is potentially important for the company because they were going to be all electric and um, you know, helpful to that extent. But again, there's a massive amount of investment and development that would have to go into those. So um, again, perhaps they will be put on put on ice to, to some extent mm-hmm. uh, for the moment. Um, beyond that, it's, it's hard to know. As you say, DBX, I'm with you to drive it um, fairly soon. Um, so the cars are there. That has to be a success and perhaps the whole focus will go into making that uh, as successful as possible. Um, but as you say, MERS can't really have too much influence over that, I would have thought, at the moment. So uh, it's hard to know where where his sort of interest is going to lie first. Will he sort of double down on, on Vantage and really try and uh, pick sales of that up or, or, or what? Who knows? Mm. In terms of um, how the world perceives Aston Martin, where do you think people, like consumers, actually set Aston Martin in terms of the marketplace? Like, where are they strongest? Because I think you can kind of see like what Porsche is really good at or what Ferrari is really good at or what McLaren is really good at and if you're after a certain type of car where those cars show up. But for Aston Martin, it feels like they're... they're I don't feel there's any category that they're like, they're the ones you go to for that car. Not necessarily for a GT car, not necessarily for a sports car. Or do you feel that the new Vantage cements that as like the go-to sports car in that kind of price bracket? Or is it still too much competition from just from, from Porsche and, and, the, and the like for cars that are in the same price bracket but just perform better? I think it's probably, I think Vantage is is a tricky one because there are, there are lots of cars, as you say, in that sort of price bracket, um, you know, AMG GT being obviously one of them, 911 being um, in the same Audi R8. Um, there's a lot of choice if you've got, you know, whatever it is, 120, 140,000 yeah. pounds to spend on a sports car. So I think though, what Aston has going for it and why we'll probably certainly never see the badge die completely is because that badge, there is an aspiration towards yeah. an Aston Martin. And the I think it's the, design the beauty of um, Aston Martin as well they're they're classically good looking cars and they are very aspirational you know people talk about um, you know wanting an Aston Martin if their lottery numbers come up almost regardless of what they drive like it's that is um, I think the sort of the 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 core market that they probably have to you know retain and hold on to um, producing you know really beautiful cars if they're not perhaps the absolute dynamic benchmark well that possibly doesn't matter as much they've got to um make you stop and stare as you as they drive down the street and, mm. and make you want one from that extent well maybe perhaps that comes back to what you were saying earlier about the lifestyle angle maybe that is actually something that they need to maintain that making sure that keeping in those headlines maintaining the brand as something aspirational whether or not that's behind products that are being produced i think it's easy for us to get um especially in the uk especially in our industry and in particular in London to get a bit complacent about how the rest of the world perceives Aston Martin. Uh, we see them very regularly out on, on, on roads. Certainly um, over, the, over the last 10, 15 years when I've lived in London, of all the high performance cars are the ones almost most likely to see frequently. Um, and you see them quite a lot in the UK anyway. But I remember we were in uh, outside Bologna, we were filming with Pagani. This was years ago. And we were seeing 
all these kind of um, camouflaged prototypes of Ferraris driving around and Lamborghinis all just testing in the area. And we were there with the PR4 uh, Pagani. It didn't bat an eyelid at any of those cars going by. But then we saw, I think it was just the DB9. Nothing like that special, but he going by and he lost his mind because he just hadn't seen an Aston Martin in that area <laughs> in forever. They were just so rare. And even someone who's surrounded by all that um, it, Italian bliss uh, can still be impressed by an Aston Martin. And the name, you're right, it holds a huge amount of weight, be that the connection to Bond or just this this idea of luxury behind it. Um, yeah, and the, the, the badge certainly won't go away, but you know, we've seen, seen other badges just the badge remain as it were thinking of things like mg um where all that remains essentially is the badge and everything the company once was has dissolved behind it we certainly don't want that to happen there's at least now there's not exactly light at the end of the tunnel but at least there's a light shining forward there's a path in front of them to move forward Mm. um it'll be interesting to see what happens we um We've driven a lot of their cars over the years and they have been getting better. I've certainly enjoyed the the new Mercedes engines in those cars. I think most recently new car from Aston Martin we did, I believe, was the manual Vantage that you yes. drove yes, that was right. uh, just outside of the Nürburgring um, mm. uh, last year, I believe. Um, again, And that's th- actually, it's, it's a good example, I think, of the sort of car that Aston can and probably should be producing yeah. because fine the manual box wasn't the wasn't the best manual box but it was intriguing it was engaging um the car you know it, it suddenly that made the car stand apart uh, certainly from a mechanical standpoint from other cars and i think there's sort of a certain i don't know it's difficult you don't you don't want to say go down the traditional route you know you don't want to see them becoming um, perhaps a, a morgan which again we'll come back to but sort of it's there has to be something you have to keep a certain quality to them so and not just go down the fully technical route like say ferrari you look at dbs uh for example which doesn't have the um technical ability of um an 812 superfast but is is a staggeringly beautiful car i think and um and almost on sort of not quite that alone but sort of um, that and the noise means that it's uh, it stacks up as a uh, a proper alternative to the Ferrari, even if it's you know, technically a bit further behind. Mm. So the, the the essential building blocks of what could be a successful company are there. They've got expertise, they've got design, uh, engineering, they've got, and brand identity, they've got all these pieces. So it's just finding, I guess, the right person who can actually make that into a viable company that can survive. Mm. Obviously, 2020 has thrown a spanner in all works of all kinds, made everything harder for absolutely everyone, um, and will probably go down for a lot of us as the worst year ever. But uh, if Aston Martin can come out the other end with a slightly more secure future than it went into this year, then that's a good thing. Um, And although we are sad to see uh, Andy Palmer go, business is business and Aston Martin needs to survive. So I guess we all understand why these uh things and it was only six years i was uh, i was surprised in my head he'd been there was for it? ages yeah it was only six mm. years that he'd been there um which, which was in my mind it was a lot longer but these things uh business moves quickly what can i say um we uh let's move on uh from aston martin to bmw because we've seen the new four series 
Uh, we've laid yes. eyes on it, and um, it's by all by all means a um, noteworthy design. Um, <laughs> there, there are some. Uh, um, well, what do you make of the design, Henry? It's uh, what, what are your thoughts? Well, on I, was got, I thought before we get to the design, let's say a, a few bits about sort of what what it is first. So, yeah. bringing out the uh, the top of the range um, is going to be the M440i. Uh, 369 brake horsepower. Uh, there are going to be a couple of other, so there's going to be a couple of four-cylinder ones, 420i and 430i, 184 brake horsepower, 255 brake horsepower. Uh, some diesel engines as well, 420, 430 and 440d. Um, the, they're only going to be available with ZF 8-speed. Um, yeah, um, no manual. That's, no that's... manuals at all. Yeah. And the um, um, so the M440 is only going to be available in X drive as well. They're not going to have rear wheel drive. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Not uh, 62, four and a half seconds, 155 miles an hour. Um, interior is the same as three series, which you've seen already. Obviously, um, cabrios will get a fabric roof rather than the folding hardtop, which you seem to be seeing more of again. Sort of, this, people seem to be going back to fabric roofs, which is. Um, is that for, for weight saving or just because the fabric roof technology has moved forward sufficiently to make them more durable? I think that's sort of probably um, probably a bit of, bit of both. And I think there's a certain sort of, perhaps people like the fact that if you've got a fabric roof, it's very obvious you've got a convertible car and sort of... Um, yeah, I like I like it the other way around. I prefer I prefer <laughs> that to have a hard top so that it actually looks like you've got a coupe, but then you can put the mm. top down. That's a personal thing. Yeah, there we are. I'm sure there's some customary research somewhere for uh, for all that sort of thing. Um, M4 competition, uh, very briefly, um, I think it's September potentially we're looking at, at that um, arriving or sort of being shown 503 brake horsepower, um, turbocharged six-cylinder engine, uh, rear or all-wheel drive, and then that will get the choice, I think I'm right, saying of the auto or a manual. Um, so yes, um, so that's the sort of headline figure I suppose it's also it's bigger this new uh, 4 series so 127 millimeters longer which is quite a bit 28 millimeters wider and six millimeters uh, taller it's stiffer than the saloon center gravity is lower than the saloon by 21 millimeters um, optional M Sport suspension um, and passive dampers are standard but the, the optional um, active ones um, available as well so that's sort of all the that's the hardware stuff nothing say too stand out sort of from that apart and, from being bigger and than the auto boxes yeah they're all on those zf boxes so they that's are. not so, so that's not a dct no hmm. no okay um i mean it's very it's a very good yeah auto box oh no absolutely it's, it's, um, yeah if you're going to pick one then it's i mean and to most people i think it will be absolutely ample i don't think there's probably a need for a dct uh, on that that sort of sort of car um but uh yeah and then we have the design which from the rear i think looks great i think it looks really nice almost almost everywhere i think the mm. the design of it is it quite often it's kind of a, a very small creep in design whereas this feels like it it, it actually looks like tomorrow's car like it, it looks like it's futuristic and uh and uh the, the just slight trimming of those lines it feels like a nice uh, evolution for the design i really like it and then you get around the front mm. and and i mean there's no other way of putting it it's a very large grill 
It is, yeah. You kind of get smacked around the eyeballs by that grill, don't you? It's 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 huge. And then if you, uh, as we have to in most of the world, put a front number plate on it, it's like just the grill above the number plate is a big grill and just the grill below the number plate is a big grill. And then there's the bits to the left and right of the number plate are also big grills. And then <laughs> it even just makes it look even bigger. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, we the a big grill in itself is something I think we've got more used to. I mean, Audi's yeah. been making grills bigger and bigger for ages. You know, you look at the RS6 grill, it's enormous, um, particularly with the black pack that sort of seems to extend it even further sort of around the edges. And of course, you put a front number plate in that and it doesn't look quite as good. But there is something about the the kidney grill or kidney shape that they've done with this that just looks like two big kind of Bugs Bunny teeth is all I can... All I can see. I'm wondering if it will look better without the number plate. I, I kind of hope it will. But it's kind of academic um, because we have to have the front number plate on there. Yeah. True. I mean, you, you can't, especially a car coming out of Germany where that's also the law, you, you can't design a car and go, oh, yeah, it looks really good without the legally required number plate. I mean, we, <laughs> we saw it pretty much on the concept and it already looked pretty big there. Um, mm. It is... I mean, I kind of want to, I, I kind of want to like it just to be contrary, um, where the whole world is like, oh, this thing's look awful. And then I stand up and go, no, I think you'll find for these reasons, it's very attractive. But it is so large. It is, I think it's also because it's taller than it is wide. We've seen a lot of cars right. with huge grills, but they're kind of proportionate because this feels taller. In a way, it's, it's how the kidney grill actually started. The original, um, the 328, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, 328 had it, and it was really like slim and narrow, um, mm. and it looks great. And uh, if you're interested in the 328, we have a uh, BMW Roadster feature <laughs> from years ago where we drove one. Um, look that up on the channel. Um, so th that that used to be the case, but there it was yeah. very narrow, and the cars had a completely different proportion. Um, and just the front of a car tended to be more of an upright oval shape anyway. Mm. I mean, it was quite sort of revolutionary at the time, wasn't it? Because, I mean, it wasn't the most efficient way to do it, to kind of split the grill down the middle to, you know, if you, um, I think I read somewhere something saying about the, you know, Rolls-Royce with its big square, you know, that is the shape of the radiator behind. That's kind of yeah. the shape that you, you need. You know, putting it a, a split down the middle is, is not um, as efficient, but it, BMW's done that always, and so um, that's why they're, they're sticking sticking with it, obviously. Um yeah there have been some really great variations on it I, I like that it's not something that they rigidly have to stick to it's just something that influences it so if you look down to cars like the um the m1 or the my favorite like the eight the original eight series where it's tiny mm. tiny little things where it's still just it's the kidney grill but they're almost the size of actual human kidneys um <laughs> and 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 then how many 8 Series grills could you get inside of the new 4 Series grills? I think about 16. 16 <laughs> of them, if I'm eyeballing it correctly. I mean, that's a lot. Um, yeah. Is it, is it, I mean, is it functional? Do they, does it really need that much front air intake or... I can't imagine no, that I think the it's, it's, that it's much design, air. isn't it? So I did a, a little bit of um, research. So the current head of design... Um, is a chap who was uh, born in Frankfurt, but he's um, a Croat. Um, and I'm, uh, 
perhaps we can flash his name up on the screen because I'm, I'm really not sure I can I can pronounce his, his name. Um, I'm going to spell his first name, D-O-M-A-G-O-J, and then his surname is Dukek, uh, D-U-K-E-C, so I'm, I'm immensely sorry if I've um, pronounced that wrong. Um, he worked at Citroen uh, for a few years, he did things like the C4 Coupe, um, C5 Airspace, C5 Mark II, um, but he's been um, at BMW for nine years now. Um, and he became chief designer last year, I think, 2019. Um, and I looked up sort of some, some interviews with him, um, which were, to be honest, certainly the ones on the BMW site, all fairly um, bland quotes from him. Things like, I like to do the best I can for a product with a positive mentality in the team and the optimum process behind the scenes. I mean, that's management speak right there. I like solving puzzles. I work with flat hierarchies, giving a lot of responsibility to design to each designer within the team I mean, that's that's designing by committee yeah that's the worst um, you can possibly do in design that works for so, business that doesn't work for design i know so um he also said as a designer you need to prepare to take risk um customers should be able to sense this energy in the product and he describes himself as an emotional rationalist so yeah he's been quite punchy about it. he's obviously been asked about the grills quite a bit um and again read uh, interviews he says, everybody who loves BMW will get used to it. People who are complaining are often not customers. Um, he thinks the previous designs were too derivative, which, you know, certainly for uh, in the post-Bangle era, perhaps they had been a bit safe. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure journalists said, say, you know, that say, sort of, you know, previous five series looked like the one before that, and it was very hard to tell them apart, perhaps. Um, and he thinks people want to shout that they're driving a BMW, and this is going to... Um, and, and I will say, you know, he's he was in charge of I think BMW i and BMW M before he got the sort of the top job. And um, do you remember the also at uh, was it Paris or Frankfurt? I'm trying to remember. They had the um, Vision M Next concept with the sort of the day glow um, bits, yeah. and that looks really good. And the you know the kidney grill on that looked fantastic. I thought that was a really nice piece of design um and was exactly the sort of thing you'd you'd want to see so yeah i, I don't know he's it's a certain amount of it's hard to know whether he's just wanting to be controversial rather than doing you know particularly um standout design or whether he's seeing something that we just can't see at the moment and it's going to be one of those cars that actually you look back as we do with some of the bangle era cars yeah. and say in 10 years time do you know what we all got that wrong. He was absolutely right. We should have, should have trusted him. He's a designer. We're not. You know, fair play. I I think there there might be some some truth in that. Um, there is a on our sister site theroadshow.com, There is a, an article published there uh, with an interview with Dom Dom. Uh, I'm really not sure either. Domagorge Domagorge Duketch. Yeah. Certainly, the, the, the higher voice and inflection helps that a, a, a treat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, say it low and say it with conviction. Domagoj Dukic. Oh, uh, I'm sure I'm murdering that in all kinds of ways. Um, anyway, interview there, uh, uh, write up by uh, our colleague Stephen Ewing, um, the headline of which is No, the 4 Series huge grill won't proliferate across BMW's lineup. 
Um, so uh, more information there about um, why he has gone for that large grill. And uh, but yeah, it is. I guess we have to admire risk taking, especially in things which are yeah. slightly l less um, uh, consequential, uh, like design, where you. you mm. It's not like he's taking a risk on safety equipment or on or making it uh, really weird to drive. No, this is just on how it looks. Um, and yeah, it grabs headlines. We're all still talking about it. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of want it to grow in me because it's it, it's different. And uh, yeah, inevitably, I, it's going to drive like a BMW. Too many blind cars out there. We've said that before. So I like you, I... I want to praise and like things like this, uh, yeah. where it's different. It makes you sit up and take notice. Um, at the moment, it's just it's just gut instinct that you're sort of um, trying to struggle to look at it. I think so. Well, I'm still looking forward to driving it, as I'm sure you are as well. Um, and uh, that's really, if it's really good to drive, I think we can forgive it a large. Oh part. yeah, if it's really good to drive. Who cares? You know. <laughs> Uh, right. Okay, uh, moving on, but staying with the Germans, uh, we have a new 911 Targa from Porsche, which will be the 992 yes. generation. Yes, we do. Yes, um, only going to be available with 4 and 4S, um, and it looks pretty much identical to the 991. It's, it's just that um, you know, Targa system slotted neatly onto the top of uh, the new 992. And some people are questioning whether they need the Targa in there. Um, you know, convertible roofs are so good these days, but it seems to have been very yeah. successful for them. So, I mean, the um, whole the whole well, idea of a Targa is a fairly outdated concept. I mean, the whole idea of it was that it looked like convertibles were going to get banned in the US because of their poor rollover performance. So the Targa right? roof, was, yeah, Targa roof was uh, basically the go-between. Basically, put a large iron hoop over the top, and that prevents. Um, rollover crush damage to the to the driver and that's where the target came from um mercedes invented reinforced a pillars and um for their cars and and that for the sls and you know those were the solutions that came into place and now every other technology now the cars are stiff enough that they could pass as you say the convertibles became absolutely fine but there's just something about that target shape that was really appealing and <laughs> there is something quite retro about it i do love a target top it's that perfect compromise between coupe and convertible. Can I love it? Yeah, the only problem for me is that it's um, it is that bit heavier, um, and obviously yeah. sort of at the the rear as well because it's uh, what is it? I think it's um, twenty kilos heavier than the Cabriolet, uh, and that's in turn fifty kilos. So it's seventy kilos heavier than a coupe, um, and probably in the sort of it's relatively high up and kind of yeah. towards the rear, which is where you don't necessarily want it, but. Um, I think by the time you've committed yourself to buying a convertible or a Targa, weight saving has kind of fallen by the wayside in terms of your like strict rule of what you're what you're wanting. Uh, if you're buying a track day tool, I don't think you're buying a Targa or even a convertible no. for that matter. No. Um, Fair enough. But uh, yeah, for GT, for a kind of a Sunday blast, absolutely fine. Um, the um, other thing I just wanted to mention on the Targa um, yeah. is that they've done a heritage design edition. Uh, mm -hmm. which I think was released either today or, or yesterday. Um, and it's, uh, really now it tips its um, hat 
to the 50s and early 60s. Um, the, the thing I really like, uh, so it uses a 1963 version of Porsche's crest on its bonnet, which I assume is potentially like the heritage pack that we saw on the Speedster, the last yeah. of the 991 um, GT cars. Um, but it's got uh, corduroy trim for the seats and door trims, echoing some of the classic, classic Porsche 356 models. And I, I had a look at the pictures, it does look pretty. I like the idea of a bit of corduroy inside the car. Um, that's that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you could uh, any kind of throwback seventies stylings. You can camouflage yourself inside, make it look like you have no <laughs> legs. Um, hmm, I don't know. So, I'd have to see it for myself. I'm not too sure about corduroy interior. I'll go. I'll go for some weird interior options, but that I'm not too sure about. Uh, next, you'll be telling me that velour is an option. Oh, I love a bit of velour. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Ooh. Um, they're only going to make 992 heritage editions. Of course. Uh, and they're going to be so a standard Targa Four is ninety-eight thousand pounds, just over uh, one hundred nine thousand seven hundred twenty-five pounds for a Four S, and then one hundred pounds, six hundred forty-three pounds for uh, the heritage edition. So yeah, strong money in nine eleven mm. terms. Certainly for non-GT cars. More than I have in the account, put it that way. Um, yes. May, however, moving on to something that is slightly on, more on the affordable range, Suzuki. I've got a new Suzuki Swift. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's just a new um, Swift Sport, and it's gone mild hybrid. Um, price has gone up to by £3,500, which is a lot. So it's now up to £21,500, which... Um, that's a lot yeah, of money it's a, a lot of money for a, for a swift sport um it hasn't gone up that much in weight which is is good it has gone up a little bit um it's only gone up 15 kilos um the power outputs are vaguely similar but the well it's still um it's three pounds foot of torque more so 173 pounds foot of torque uh 2000 rpm um but it's 11 brake horsepower down um 062 is a full second slower to 9.1 seconds. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. I don't know whether... I sort of feel in a car like that that... Um, so the, the mild hybrid system is aimed at sort of basically shutting the engine down more often when it's not needed around town. I I get all that. Um, whether it's appropriate for the sport model or not, I don't know. You sort of think... With a car like the Swift, it's always been super lightweight, and whether that would have been a really intriguing way to go with it, because although mm. you know, 15 kilos is not a lot more to add, so that's it's still going to be a light car, um, and that's good. But you almost instinctively think, perhaps this might my failing, but you you say hybrid, and you start to think they've added you know, a lot more weight into it and, and complexity. Whereas you think with a car like that, it would be really nice if they focused. Uh, even more on on lightweight and and making it really feel efficient that way, uh, perhaps. Well, the the headline of we've added a little bit more weight, taken a little bit of power away, kind of makes me think it's going to lose its crown as like the go-to ring taxi. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's not somewhere where you're going to take full advantage of of a mild hybrid system. Everything that's... 
Everything that's positive isn't going to work for you. Everything that's negative is going to count double against you. Not that that's the main place where these cars get deployed. It's just a famous place where they're getting deployed quite a lot. Um, And it just seems a shame for them not to focus on that side of thing. As you say, with the sport, which does feel like it's in a different category completely to the regular car. Mm. And, you know, that price hike, putting it up against something like Fiesta ST, uh, which is just so good. That's really starts to look very punchy mm. um, and so yeah um i'll try and get one in and try and drive one um yes see what see what it's like maybe take it around the ring um <laughs> uh moving on uh a different kind of ring um there's a uh, 1970s short film that i'm sure a lot of you are highly familiar with c'est un rendezvous which was uh, a short film made by claude lelouch where he highly irresponsibly drove at high speed through paris um, uh, with some speeds topping, I believe, around 150 miles an hour at some places. Crazy speeds. He averaged 50 miles an hour over that <laughs> that distance um, up to the Sacré-Cœur on a Sunday morning in the summer uh, in a film that is still sh- shrouded in a lot of mystery. There's still quite a few mm. things that he's very unclear about, uh, including um, the actual camera rig, uh, there's what he said and what people have photographed it was don't match up uh, what the engine sound is which may have been a Ferrari but it was a Mercedes that was being driven all these things even though Claude Lelouch is still very much alive uh, we don't <laughs> know about these things because he's very vague about it and is prone to lying however he has been deployed uh, to the principality of uh, uh, Monte Carlo um, Monaco rather in the city of Monte yeah. Carlo to do a homage remake sequel however you want to do it um in an actual ferrari with an actual ferrari driver yes um, charles leclerc charles leclerc um, yeah the remaining ferrari driver that's a different story <laughs> altogether um yes yeah the monegasque um ferrari driver which i've just realized makes it more more accurate where he's driving yes, around in the sf90 stradale mm, i always struggle with that name for some reason i always sort of um, think it might be SP and then I want to say SPF and that's of course um, sun, uh, rating to sun cream motion. exactly yeah. yes um, so anyway um, I did see some footage uh, on social media of uh, Charles driving the car and driving it really very hard as well sort of um, as you would expect from an F1 driver but um, you do sort of wonder the streets I don't know whether they were um, because they were due to be shut down for the Monaco Grand Prix that weekend and they yeah. took advantage of that um, I suspect um, but yeah, he, he wasn't hanging around, um, sliding it on the way into um, the corners and that sort of thing. Um, it was uh, should be should be fun. Yeah, the uh, the film itself comes out in a couple of weeks, I believe the seventeenth of June. Uh, there are some making ofs available on YouTube, definitely worth checking out. But uh, it'll be quite nice to do maybe a side by side comparison of the two films <laughs> uh, when it's out, because I could talk about Set and Rendezvous for hours uh, as. It's brilliant. Brilliant little film. On um, the subject of that film, actually, quickly as well, yeah. quick shout out to uh, Simon Kidston, um, who deals in all sorts of old cars and has some, and is the uh, nephew of Glenn Kidston, who is one of the Bentley boys. Um, and anyway, he did a, um, a fantastic, um, his version of uh, Setting on Rendezvous uh, during lockdown released it, and it was for um, charity and supporting um, the Italian. Um, version of the National Health Service, I think. Uh, so yes, go and have a go and have a look at that as well because that's that's um, really rather fun. 
and, uh, and well done. Uh, and I think above all, never ever try to recreate any of these films yourself. Um, it's frankly a miracle no one was killed when the original was made. Uh, again, some harrowing stories about that have come out over the years. Um, no one actually got hurt. It's it's safe to say, but uh, they almost should have done. Um, right, uh, last bit of the news. We've well, seen you've got to share one of those, surely. Okay, 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 what are those? They had radios to connect. There was one fully blind turn. It was coming through an arc next to the Louvre. Oh, fully, yes, yeah fully blind turn where they had a camera assistant posted with a radio to Claude Lelouch who was meant to radio him if any cars were crossing or any pedestrians were crossing so that he knew to back off or they would cancel the take because there was no way he'd be able to see them coming out of that archway. Um, he didn't get any warning, went straight through, it was fine. Turns out the radios weren't working. Had there been anything wrong he would not have been able to get that radio signal um, and uh, he would have gone straight into whatever was there. Wow. that's just oh. it. yeah that's yeah i mean he mounts yeah. the curb at one point to get around a bin truck and a woman know, jumps yeah. out the way <laughs> it's irresponsible yeah. filmmaking at its absolute worst and best i love it but it terrifies me um yeah. the 70s were a weird place um okay good story uh, anyway thank you for that <laughs> moving on we've got uh nissan have teased us with a Z car uh, I guess confirming that there's going to be a new one, which has been many years since we've seen the last new one. Um, from what I can gather online, it's looking like a 400Z might be it, but what that actually means, question marks. What do you think, Henry? Yes, lots of question marks. I mean, it's just, it's nice that they're doing it, really, isn't it? That's pretty much all we can say. You know, the, the, yeah. the silhouette of the car with a little bit of outline and sort of a bit of headlight in there looks very cool. The the you know 350Z and 370Z were, were great cars uh, to have in the marketplace. They made uh, your buying options that much richer um, uh, for that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I had some great times in in both those cars actually. Particularly 350Z, I think is uh, still a, a cracking car. And um, we don't know whether it's going to be six-cylinder engine um, or a four-cylinder engine. Um, obviously, pictured against the Supra would seem seem logical but that now has both yeah. um, sort of options of engines so that's really all we know um hopefully um rear wheel drive and just and fun to drive any sort of car that comes back into that section of the marketplace seems very welcome really hmm. i just did a quick google of it and i think the original z car came out the same year as certain rendezvous so they're the same age we knew that you can cut out yeah. the googling bit and we just sort of um, you know, perhaps redo the intro to this so sort of going from you know sticking in 1976 or whatever you know, <laughs> i just googled it on the side and ooh, um it, it may have been unveiled in the same year but actually manufacturing started a few years later oh yeah. don't spoil it <laughs> yeah print the myth and all that um that's it for the news uh obviously keep subscribed to the youtube channel um, Carfection, YouTube forward slash uh, Carfection for all of our films. But for more up-to-date news on a daily basis, uh, written articles, galleries and such, why not check out our sister channel over at theroadshow.com. Uh, everything that we post also gets posted over there, but they go into way more depth in a lot of this news with new uh, video and articles every single day. 
uh, mentioned a few in that piece there. Well worth checking out, uh, as well as a some crossover posts that we've been doing for their YouTube channel where we've been bundling up some of our content to make larger half-hour features that live over there. If you're an avid Carfection fan, you may have already seen all of it, but I doubt all of you have seen all of it. So check out theroadshow.com or find Roadshow on YouTube to find some of our content over there as well. But over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Carfection, as I'm sure you're very much aware, uh, we've had some great stuff uh, coming out. We talked about the uh, the Morgan uh Earlier we touched on it. That was one of the first films that uh, you guys have been able to go out and film uh, since the easing of lockdown regulations here in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a great film. Definitely go and check it out. But coming back to our Aston Martin conversation, there was a slightly more special film that we put out that was filmed before lockdown. Uh, I think it'll be fair that you go into a bit more detail on that, Henry. <laughs> uh, yes. So this was driving uh, James Bond's DB5, but not just a DB5. Um, this was the stunt car, or one of the eight stunt cars, in fact, they produced uh, for the uh, the latest film, which has obviously been delayed, uh, No Time to Die. And it's it's such a cool car. It really is. It's just, I would have one over an original DB5, because it's, it's carbon fiber body, so it looks, you know, if one went down the street, um, we didn't hear it, uh, you would you would just think it was uh, a, a normal DB5, so the looks are absolutely spot on. And it has uh, the right steering it, wheel as well. <clears throat> yeah, it does. So yep. you couldn't even tell yeah. from the steering wheel. No, and that is part of what actually makes it quite interesting to drive. Um, it has a, uh, well, it's got a BMW uh, six-cylinder engine um, under the bonnet. Did they actually um, confirm that? No, they didn't. And they, did, you know, they were being very coy about it, and I'm not entirely sure why because it's very obvious from the gear knob that it was a bmw um engine uh, m3 so they, kept, they changed the steering wheel but yeah, they didn't kept the gear knob. they didn't keep the period uh, accurate gear knob and let's face it they've got mercedes engines in you know their road car their normal road car so why why worry about anyway there we go Sounded maybe fantastic. maybe that's a mercedes amg like thing <clears throat> like okay yeah maybe it was yeah don't tell them that yeah. Yeah, maybe. Speculation. Um, exactly, yeah. So I'd, I'd never actually saw one of the bonnets, so maybe it wasn't best, so I just put a BMW um, gear knob on it and it sounded like it. But um, yeah, Occam's Razor suggests. Anyway, um, 300 brake horsepower, rear-wheel drive, um, double wishbones uh, all round, Olin's dampers, and a uh, proper limb slip diff uh, in it, um, hydraulic handbrake, uh, not that you really needed that. To be honest, and it was just so much fun. So that's the perfect recipe. You know, thousand kilos, three hundred brake horsepower, rear wheel drive, limit slip diff. You're looking pretty good um, from from there on in. It was interesting to drive to the extent that um, the rubber was a sort of a more modern compound, but looked like old rubber, and obviously still had the sort of a relatively narrow um, contact patch um, for that sort of power. And um, uh, so you had to. Be quite patient on the way into corners um, and, and sort of then let it, it transfer um, and be quite sort of careful on the braking, be aggressive, quite aggressive with the engine braking if you really want to get the most out of the, the braking, I think. The interesting thing is when it was oversteering because you had this big wheel and so that puts you in mind of driving a classic car and I've driven DB4 GT continuation and DB4 GT Zagate continuation. So I sort of kind of, that's I suppose what I had in my head. 
and those are cars that you want to you can drive certainly with oversteer but you keep them quite quite straight they sort of drift nicely and you don't really want to have lots of lock on whereas this was like a mark II escort in a way so actually you would get to a point where you think oh i don't want it to go any further than this because then it will just get really scrappy and go way over the limit in this car you could just bung everything at it and that was actually really happy at like big angles on oversteer and you obviously had more lock anyway to catch it um so that was where it was is really good so you just light it up and sit there with the thing at a big angle and um yeah it's great the difficulty then is obviously getting the lock off again you've got this three spoke which is always yeah. a bit confusing so it was and even more confusing. i drove two cars one which had damage and one which didn't and one of them had a spoke had uh the y sort of upside down so you had a spoke pointing to uh, 12 o'clock the other one had the y the normal way up so you had the sort of the v like that and then yeah. there's a piece of tape at the top so i mean that was confusing as it is so you just have to it's, it's getting a lock off again which is the the tricky bit um but that, i kind of liked it because it just made it that much more it, it wasn't just a well here it is it's very easy to drive you had to really think about it and learn it and mm. um oh it was great i loved it as you tell yeah, I can I can definitely tell. <laughs> I think I think the 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 problem with a classic uh, Aston Martin DB5 is because we've seen it in James Bond movies, both classic. Uh, it's in the beginning of GoldenEye. Um, really been driven quite hard, and it's, I've driven an original Aston Martin DB5, and you can't really do that in a, in one. You'd be terrified to because they cost an absolute fortune. Plus the engine and the, the steering wheel, they don't really have the ability to, to certainly not a track toy, wouldn't really want to get in much of a car chase with it either. Um, so no. the ability to have that exterior and most of the interior experience, but then have something that drives like, like you're an MI6 agent evading <laughs> capture. Yes, that is the best of all worlds. I can definitely understand why you would prefer to have that over an original DB5. And frankly, it's what the whole resto mod industry is built on, right? Exactly. The other crucial thing is uh, the seats, um, of course, because you sit in an original DB5 and you just, you know, slow. There's nothing. There's not even a headrest. You you just, so having some proper um, bucket seats in there makes a a world of difference as well. It was just shy an ejector seat and an oil slick and a <laughs> shield. But one for of them, a bulletproof shield. One of them did have that um, there. But I got contacted by a chap on Instagram whose uncle was the guy that um, originally cut up a DB5 for that very first uh, one in, in Goldfinger. Um, and he said, Can you imagine you know, cutting into um, one of those with an angle grinder? Um, and he, they hadn't told Aston Martin what they were going to do at the time either. Um, so for the, like the bulletproof shield at the back, you know, just taking an angle grinder to um, uh, rear, rear deck like that. Uh, so yeah, that was um, uh, that was great. Hearing well, there's a story. tradition in that they had to take the the Bond car in Doctor No was that Toyota, mm. and Sean Connery was too tall for it, so they just took some <laughs> shears to that and took the roof off, made it into a convertible, <laughs> even though they didn't make a convertible version of that car at the time. Just go like. <laughs> The production company was just like, ah, let's just turn this into convertible. How hard can it be? <laughs> I'm not sure how that how that would go across in the in the car industry, especially for something you're then going to try and take on a car chase. You made you made everyone extremely jealous with not only getting to drive an original DB5, but getting to drive that BMW powered 
resto modded for the want of a better phrase um uh db5 but in addition to that you got to get a ride along with mark higgins not only the stunt driver for uh the james bond films but an extremely talented rally driver in his own right and got to have a ride along and have a chat with him as well it's quite a day you had it was yeah uh he's uh three times british uh rally champion um and um i've i've kind of i've known mark for quite a long time now actually so i think we were it was i think it was um might have been rally sweden uh on at the time when we actually filmed that uh, so we were standing around in the garage watching that on my my mobile um live in the morning um chatting away about that anyway he's um yeah fantastic driver fairly obviously um and we had a chat in the car about what it's like doing all the filming and stuff. And also had a chat, which you can hear on the podcast with him. Um, the the about... previous, if you're listening, if you're listening to this on the podcast, the previous episode, which I'm hoping you've already heard, is the extended version of the interview with Mark Higgins. If you're not listening to this on the podcast and you're watching us on YouTube, why not check out our podcast? You can find the Carfection for the Love of Cars podcast wherever you find good podcasts. <laughs> Thank you very much for that <laughs> short commercial interview. Shameless self um, <laughs> um, But we, yeah, we had chat about uh, Alman TT um, records and things like that because he obviously set those records in uh, various cars. I have actually had a ride round a closed Alman TT course with him um, and uh, a couple of other journalists, David Evans, um, the, the famous rally journalist, being one of the others, um, during when he set the... the the, the most recent of his records so the one that was nearly 130 miles an hour average um and in between the sessions they were doing um sort of mostly for uh paying customers or i think red bull guests or things like that um and i was one of the lucky people and i sat in with mark who's using it as practice obviously because he doesn't get much time to sort of particularly certain sections of the course you can't drive quickly most of the time because obviously it might be through a village and it's 30 miles an hour so he really was using it and so we, we would get way ahead of the other cars that were behind and they had to sort of slow up for a bit and, and wait and I remember him sliding through a corner out into a bus stop um, and then sort of back onto the road which was actually you know it was not a mistake that was the line he was um, we'd taken uh, the real thing and um, so that was quite a uh, quite an experience to have so yeah Mark's a, a, a great Great guy, and uh, obviously enjoys doing doing the one stuff. Were you uh, in that interview? Um, you discussed with him um, one of those times where he was doing a full lap with a journalist in the car, <laughs> uh, and had a bit of a moment, which a is bit of a moment. Under, it was the moment to understatement end all of the moments, century. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went back and I watched that clip. I had seen it before, but after the interview, I went and watched it again, and. Um, that you point it out in in the interview but so mark has a moment and i guess that that is selling it well shy of what it is you have to check it out it is 99 out of 100 other people would be in a wall somewhere after that but uh it's the non-expression on the journalist's face i can't yeah. tell if he's pet petrified and and has the best poker face or he just didn't realise how much trouble they were in? <laughs> or, or, I think it's the latter. He, he just didn't realise. He thought that was all part of the part of the ride. Because where it happened is the bottom of Bray Hill. So they'd literally just come across. They For that run, um, they basically went 
all the way down to the end of the high street sort of uh, there's a mini roundabout at the end and they just get a, a big run up um to the uh, start finish line for the, so for the later ones um they actually started um up at uh, so Craig Nabar they held the car up there so he could get some heat into the tires because it was running on slicks by that point so he would um have a just a bit of a run into um the start line there without doing a full lap um but for those early ones say it was just a case of turn around up to the end flying um start across the line and then you're straight into down um the hill uh, and bottom of bray hill through the compression which is where it happened so it would have been i don't know um 30 seconds um maybe not even that after they set off um so it was the first proper corner they'd have come to so perhaps he just just thought if he hadn't been in many cars or certainly hadn't sat with any rally drivers, he probably just thought, oh, this is kind of what happens. Probably thought the rest of that was extremely dull after that. Um, yeah. And as, as Mark said, that was almost the worst thing, was having that moment. And it's At the beginning of, of the lap. Yeah. And I, I remember sort of similar kind of, not similar, but yeah, yeah. Near accidents when I was rallying and you kind of, it was something that would happen mid-stage and you have an almighty you know moment. Gather it all up and then you've, you're still in the stage. You're still against the clock. You've got to keep keep going. You have to sort of just normally you would if it was on the, you know, if something like that happened on a road or you had a near miss or something, you know, somebody pulls out when they're not looking and you say, oh, jeepers, you might think you're oh, pulling into a lay-by and have a, you know, deep breath and um, um, that sort of thing. You can't do that. Um, so yeah, it still had the full lap to continue continue on and, and do. And he did look absolutely white as a sheet when he got out of the car afterwards because I, I was I was there and saw him. And um, yeah, to make a a rally driver yeah. of his caliber look that unnerved takes quite something. It's a very fast section next to very sharp-looking walls and houses, and there's an awful lot there to go into. And the fact he didn't even clip a curb, um, the talent of that man is uh, immeasurable. And the fact so, that he's still here to tell the tale is... He, he actually talked to uh, John McGuinness, I think, afterwards. Um, it might have been Michael Donald. I'm pretty sure it's John McGuinness. Um, who said, because he'd been taking... Mark had been taking the lines that are almost closest to the, the curb at the bottom of the hill. Um, and John McGuinness said, oh, no, actually, the line you want is about um, a foot, foot and a half out from the curb, uh, just because of the way uh, the, the road surface is at that point, just to help... Um, settle the bikes. You don't even take the tightest line through the corner or the the absolute what you would think was was racing line through the corner. And if you ever go to the Alaman TT, and obviously it's not on this year because of uh, coronavirus, but um, I had lots of people say, "Oh, well, you know, is it difficult to get around? How you get there? Sort of, you know, you need a car and all that thing." You can fly into Douglas, uh, get the bus down to um, or fly to the airport, get a bus down to Douglas, which costs you about tuppence. And um, if as long as you've got somewhere to stay, that's just the most difficult bit then all you need really, certainly for a first time there, is within walking distance because you can just walk down to the bottom of Bray Hill and watch there. And it's still one of the best places to watch because the bikes are going through there at you know 160 miles an hour plus. And I remember the first time you hear them go through and you hear them as they come through. And it, you think, what's that noise? And you suddenly realise the you, you know, next one comes through and they're bottoming out and it's the bodywork just kissing the tarmac as they go through the compression. And you think... Yeah, it's 160, 170 miles an hour they're doing this. And it's just, just insane. Absolutely insane. But anyway, there we go. Sorry, off on a tangent. No, it's it's, a, it's a magnificent place. 
I've never been to the TT, but I've been to the Isle of Man to drive a couple of times. And it's brilliant when you're up in the mountains and you're getting to drive on those unrestricted bits. If you're unaware, the Isle of Man is the only place in the British Isles uh, and one of only a couple of places in the entire world where you can have a fully paved road with zero speed limits. Uh, except unlike the Autobahn, where it's four lanes wide, dead straight most of the time, this is a windy mountain road, one lane with traffic going in both directions. And there it's exciting, but it's when you're in the towns, you realize, what well, I mean, they're very strict in the towns on their speed limit. So I've only ever been through there at 30 miles an hour. But you're looking at it going, how do people do this at that speed? When you watch it on TV, it's yeah, frightening. It's worth saying, actually, well, the police are very hot up on the mountain. Obviously, there's, you say, it's too restricted, but um, they're really hot on driving standards. So fine, mm. you can oh, yeah. using, but they're kind of almost more so than um, you'd sort of you might expect or whatever. It's not just a, a total free fall by any any. Um, no, because it's imagination, is it? It's, yeah, it's two way. There's blind turns. There's crests. There's there's cliffs. There's walls. Uh, you, you still need to be safe, but um, is is a thrilling place to be. Um, if you've never seen the movie TT Closer to the Edge, I certainly recommend it for a... Uh, if you've never been to the Isle of Man, never watched anything about the TT, maybe don't know anything about bikes at all, like me, it's it's certainly a good introduction to the uh, to the space and it gives you an idea. Um, and then once you've watched that, in- that, once you've watched TT Closer to the Edge, go on and watch uh, Road, um, which is all about the Dunlops. Um, Dunlops is... Uh, uh, who does the... Um, Liam Neeson does the, the voiceover. Uh, or narration hmm. for it but it's absolutely br- it, you know tt close to the edge brilliant road next level just um yeah stays with you need to go and watch it actually i might go and watch that again put that on the list of things to do actually i might be in a bit of a bike mood because uh, i don't know if you can see it over my shoulder oh uh, have you built it yet we mentioned i uh, know i haven't but oh, it's, what it's, have you been doing this? i know i know it's uh this is uh my next Lego build project. We'll be filming the build of that this week. Um, very tasty indeed. Uh, which you would have known if you were taking part in any of the Carfection quizzes, uh, which is another point. Um, we've done a couple of them in lockdown. Uh, I think it's about time that we got another one scheduled. Wouldn't you say, Henry? Yes. Yeah, I need to write yeah. some questions. So um. <laughs> we will. We we will let you know when they're happening again. But if you look on the uh, old live videos that have been out on the YouTube channel, you can see that. Um, Previous episode of the podcast has the extended interview with uh, with Mark Higgins. Um, that interview, a shortened version of it, is inside the film where Henry drives those DB5s. Brilliant film. Um, just to round off today's episode, uh, to touch on another great film that was shot quite a bit before lockdown, uh, but that we finished recently and put out, where we finally, finally being the operative word, because it certainly took us a long time to be able to get our hands on it, but uh, you got a chance to go out and drive the 488 Pista. I did, yes. Yeah, you kind of answer of... the question about whether or not it's a worthy successor or maybe better than or not as good than the 458 Speciale. Yeah, I, I think um, it's, first of all, got to say it's worth watching because Charlie did a fantastic um, bit of editing with the, uh, the opening segment with it. With um, I won't give away how he filmed it and, uh, and stuff, but... Um, certain pyrotechnics and stuff involved but um yeah brilliant it just even if you want to just ignore what you don't if you have no interest in what i say about pista understandable then just go watch it for the intro because i think it is uh, really really good 
Pista itself, yeah, really interesting car because I think coming after the Speciale, 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 I, I, apparently I said it wrong in the film, um, but I said it. My Italian's how too I poor it, so. to be able to correct you. Exactly. Um, so coming after that, the 458, I think it was always likely to be, it's a hard, tough act to follow, isn't it? Let's face it. So, but <laughs> on its own merit, if the 458 didn't exist, we would all be raving about the Pista, I think, even more because it is absolutely fabulous. It's stunningly fast. It is, I mean, just bonkers fast. And you, I made this point in the film, you can drive around sort of two, three gears easily higher than you would in sort of, you know, if you were absolutely ringing it out and still feel like you're traveling plenty fast enough, which makes it all more shocking than when you actually drop down the gears and really go for it. Um, all the other bits kind of just feel like all the bits we loved about the um, Speciale because it's, yeah, um, the chassis is fantastic. It's still a really lovely, engaging chassis. When you turn all the electronics off, it feels natural even when the electronics are there. And I'm intrigued. I don't know what's going to happen with car prices. Nobody knows what's going to happen at the moment because it's all up in the air. But you can foresee a point whereby in you know 10 years' time, when we've had other things, obviously the um, um, sun cream ones out there, um, and that sort of thing, and um, pirate prices. The SPF yeah, we've we moved yeah. on exactly. Yes, that's that's the job. Um, that um, where the four five eight Speciale is, um, you know, it commands a premium because it's seen as the one, um, and the Pista is, you know, it could be hundred grand cheaper, say, because it's not just because it's not the four five eight, and at that point, I think, you know. <laughs> I'd be very tempted. You just go for the piece because you're like, well, yeah, fine. The four five eight is amazing, and I love that natural aspirated engine. But for a hundred grand saving, you go for the go for the piece sort of thing. It's it's if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's the. It, it, so you're saying as a driver's car, taken in a blind test, you prefer it. But there is something more about the four five eight Speciale, having done it, maybe first maybe have set that high watermark first and to be of that previous generation of naturally aspirated cars that makes it more uh appealing as a concept no i think i prefer the 458 um to drive um okay still the 458 is still the one to drive but that doesn't mean that the 488 is bad it's like sort of you know it's the um i think i said the uh, you know 458 speciale gets three michelin stars 488 gets two Michelin stars. That doesn't make the 488 it's still Easter two Michelin a stars, bad car. Yeah. It's still two Michelin stars. So I think that's kind of that's where I'm going okay. um, with it. Uh, but it could be the bargain of the century down the road, potentially. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because of that. Well, then, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a brilliant film. As Henry says, worth it just for the opening sequence alone. Uh, no eyebrows were destroyed while making that, I'm reliably told. <laughs> Charlie's face is still intact. Children, don't play with matches. Uh, unless you're making really cool intros for Carfection films, in which case, kind of strike away. Um, uh, that was but one of the great films that's uh, up on the channel. Uh, we've continued to make stuff throughout um, uh, lockdown. There's a, a extra interesting pieces where Henry is shot from the very place you can see him sitting right now. This is right, uh, so I've got, got a missing two cars. I'm missing ones here taped to the wall. 
I'm giving <laughs> giving away the secrets as to how I do it. <laughs> it's a little what that you've used tape to stick cars exactly, to the gaffer wall. tape to the. <laughs> Nothing behind the thin veneer of broadcast is ever real. It's no, all just painted not. flats yeah. and, yeah. and lens flares. Um, we've continued to, to make that, and we've only been able to do that, with, of course, with your support. Thank you so much for being a subscriber to the channel. I'm guessing if you've made it this far into either the podcast or the uh, YouTube video, you are definitely a subscriber. If I could, though, ask you to hit the bell notification so that you're reminded every time we put a new film out. It really helps us get that message. <laughs> and it's just filling you in on all the little knickknacks and you spill open as well. Hitting that bell icon and staying notified really helps us get those films out to as many people as soon as possible and really helps us keep these films free for you to watch on YouTube. Uh, there are troubling times, I'm sure, ahead uh, for everyone. And our main priority is to keep the channel going uh, and keep you entertained with the best car films that we can possibly make. Uh, find us on all of the social networks. Uh, look for Carfection on Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Carfection. And on Instagram, it's at Carfection Films. You can find Henry wherever you find other great people on social media at Henry Catchpole. And if you find it in your heart to track me down i am at drew stern stern spelt s-t-e-a-r-n-e and if i don't tell people how it's spelled no one will ever find it because it's <laughs> weird um that brings us to the end of another footlock thank you so much for listening uh especially if you're a listener on the podcast it's been a little bit harder to keep that up to date but hopefully we'll, we'll we'll stay on top of that and keep you informed for those who are just listening in their ears but for now henry thank you so much for joining me from studio catchpole it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure much, as usual uh and uh, it's goodbye from us and we'll see you again next time.